Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Thundercast. I'm Anthony Colasuno alongside Chevy Blackburn over here. And uh, we're going to be doing some reviews and previews for SUU Sports. Yes, um, it was a fascinating week last week for SU Athletics. Um, I'll start out with men's and women's golf. So on the men's side, we'll go with the men's first here. They're at the Gene Miranda Falcon Invitational in Colorado Springs, Colorado at Eisenhower Golf Course hosted by uh, Air Force, the Air Force Academy. And their results, not the best. Um, They finished 24th out of 24th. So uh, a total, they were 75 over par altogether. And in that round... Mitchell Abbott led the way for SU on day three, turning his best performance of the weekend by carding a 75, so three over par, so mm-hmm. par of 72 at this golf course. Uh, sometimes you get, you know, 72 par, 71 par, depending on the difficulty of the course. Three Thunderbirds tied for second in the lineup on the final day with Leo Torres, Jackson Long, and Rashawn Williams each shooting an 80, so eight over par, so plus eight in the final round. And Torres finished first overall for Southern Utah. So he was the best placer um, team-wise. And then individual portion of the event, because in some college events you have the team and then an individual uh, player, usually okay. usually the leftover player. Um, and Seth Witherton had an impressive final day, carding a even round of 72. So congrats to Seth. And he also secured a tie for 30th overall at the tournament. So pretty Pretty good job by uh, Seth leading the way individually for the Thunderbirds. And on the women's side of the tournament, they finished 16th out of 18th at the Hobble Creek Classic up north held by uh, Utah Valley. And um, SUU's strong performance on the final day once again placed them in 16th. Uh, four Thunderbirds recorded a seven over par 78. So par was 71 at that course. Mm-hmm. Um, as Sarah Rommel-Borson, uh, Anna Gilball, and Ellie Hare, and Excel Thalikarn, uh sorry if I pronounce those ra- names super wrong. Uh, apologies, apologies, ladies. Um, they all shot you know, a seven over par, um, and they were the main focus of the tournament and led the Thunderbirds to the 16th place finish. Uh, this was the first tournament for both teams this season, so definitely a lot more to go, but a good start, you know, so far. Yeah, and on the uh, volleyball, we had the T-Birds taking on three opponents this weekend, and it was at the, what was it, the Boise State Classic. Or yeah, Boise State Classic. They played what or Eastern Washington, where they lost zero to three. They played uh, Boise State as well, where they lost zero to three. And honestly, most of the time they were really pretty consistent, but not overwhelmingly good. Okay. So like looking at it, they averaged eighteen points per set. And uh, so it's not too bad, but obviously uh, Eastern Washington came out with that. And Boise State, or against Boise State, they really had a tough time just hitting the ball. They had more attempts and everything, 
but they were hitting it 14.3% compared to, uh, what is it? Oh, this is Eastern Washington still. So they were hitting 14.3% to uh, Eastern Washington's 34.8. So like that's a huge difference in uh, volleyball right there. And defensively, Eastern Washington played a bit better just overall. And against uh, Boise State, they hit low again, actually lower than their first uh, match against Eastern Washington. They shot, they hit just over 12%. And Boise State hit 26.7%. And Boise State's defense was really good. They had 11 blocks compared to SUU's four. And then their final game of the weekend, actually Saturday. So those first two games were on Friday, the 9th, September 9th. And then their game against Butler was against, or not against, but on Saturday. And they also lost 0-3 to three to Butler in the uh, match. And it was just kind of similar to the other two games. They just really didn't have a consist. They weren't hitting the ball consistently. And defensively, they were just outplayed by the other team. And that takes them into... 0-3 for that weekend, but they were own, their own seven on the season now. Uh, and they'll be playing two games this weekend as well. So one will be Friday, the 16th at 7.30 here at the America First Event Center. And their next game will be Saturday as well, um, the 17th at the America First Event Center. For the first game, they'll be playing the UNLV Rebels, who just came off a pretty big victory against uh, 19th-ranked Kansas, the Jayhawks. So that's huge. That's going to be a really tough battle for SUU. And uh, the Rebels have a really good uh, outside hitter, Isabel Martin, who uh, has 130 kills on the season so far in nine games, or eight games. That's a lot of kills, and... Uh, you know, being from Las Vegas, I follow UNLV athletics, and I believe last year they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. They barely missed out, but they won, I believe, the NVCA, if I'm not mistaken, which is kind of like the NIT. Mm -hmm. They won that. So the whole entire tournament, they beat teams like Kentucky along the way. So definitely a good volleyball squad uh, right there. Yeah, and I mean – I mean, the history kind of shows it, too, because me and you were looking at that before. They're 0-4 against the Rebels since 2009. And when against Idaho State, which is their second game, they are actually, uh, what is it, 6-14 and 14 since 2009. So it's going to be a tough weekend for them, and both teams are playing pretty well. So for Idaho State, their outside hitter, uh, Jamie Street earned Offensive Player of the Week, averaging 3.62 kills per set, an uh, average hit of 25.4 with 47 kills, and this was in the CBU Classic in Riverside, California. And their sophomore, Ermine Ermi Statula, sorry if I mispronounced that, she was a key part of their defense, and she had 17 total blocks, 1.3 per set. And they went 3-0 and in that tournament. Not bad, not bad. And they, uh, the Bengals, Idaho State Bengals, swept 
the big sky players of the week with those two last week. So Idaho State's definitely a team mm-hmm. to watch out for, for sure. Um, I'll move it over to soccer now. And right before we head into uh, women's soccer, women's golf, I'm sorry I recapped your last matchup, but there is a matchup this weekend I forgot to announce. They are women's golf is going to be at the Coeur d'Alene Resort Collegiate Invitational in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, Gonzaga is the hosting team for that tournament. It's going to be held at the Coeur d'Alene Golf Course, and I've heard that golf course is beautiful. I've had family members who've played up at that course, and they say it's just phenomenal all year around. So exciting news for the women's team. You know, you get to play on a really, really, really nice golf course. But uh, let's see what they can do uh, with that. And now moving into soccer, the 5-1 Thunderbirds' best start in program history. Um, this week they play Texas, yeah, Texas Rio Grande Valley, the Vaqueros, and they all, and then that's on Friday, kickoff at 4 p.m. at the Thunderbirds soccer field here on campus. And then they play Stephen F. Austin on Sunday, kickoff at noon. And the Thunderbirds have a lot to look forward to. Right now, they are outscoring opponents 23-2 to this season. The only two goals is the loss to Cal State Fullerton, which was uh, the last matchup they played. Cal, Cal State Fullerton, a really good soccer team, one of the best in the Big West Conference, always at the head of getting that NCAA tournament berth for their women's soccer program. And the Thunderbirds also are gaining national attention, being ranked first in the country in points per game and scoring offense. For points per game, the average is just over 10 points and scoring offense just under four goals per game so far this season. And the team is led by freshman sensation Sammy Safina with six goals and 12 points on the season. And Safina is ranked in the top 10 nationally in both goals and goals per game. So imagine being a freshman and ranked that high. That is outstanding. And on the defensive side, uh, redshirt sophomore goalkeeper Megan Short, the transfer from Colorado, is ranked 38th in the nation in goals against average with a .556 save percentage. And looking at the opponents, Texas Rio Grande Valley, the Vaqueros are 2-5 this season, wins against Texas Southern and Texas A&M University Corpus Christi's. Right now, their offense has struggled. They've only scored seven goals compared to the 12 by their opponents. But also, you know, we shouldn't take this 2-5 and five record for granted. Uh, the Vaqueros have faced TCU and Texas. Both are ranked squads. So definitely a tough non-conference portion of their schedule. Uh, sophomore a- Amy Hislop and junior Anna Ricarte Pacheo lead the Vaqueros with two goals each. And for Stephen F. Austin, they have a 1-5-1 and one record. Only win on the season is up against Prairie View A&M University. And sophomore Lily Hargrove leads the Lady Jacks with two goals on the season. So, And also these two matchups are the first for the Thunderbirds soccer program in the history of the Western Athletic Conference. So definitely a big time to show out right now for uh, women's soccer. And the games will be held up against Rio Grande Valley on Friday, September 16th, kickoff at 4 p.m., and then when the Thunderbirds play Stephen F. Austin, that will be out Sunday with a noon kickoff, both at the Thunderbirds soccer field and both will be streamed on ESPN+. I'm probably going to go attend those games. Can't wait to see what this uh, Thunderbird squad can do. 
Yeah, and also this upcoming weekend, kind of previewing, we have some cross-country for both men's and women's. They'll be traveling to the uh, UC Riverside Invitational in Riverside, California, and that will be on the 17th, which is this Saturday. And the meetings start for women's at 8 feet, or 8.15 a.m. and for men at 8.50. Uh, they didn't have a match last week, but we did go over them a little bit in our first undercast. They're doing all right. Uh, they just kind of getting started. I mean, they haven't been, I think this is their second event, right? About, So yep. yeah, that's their second event. Second so it's event. just kind of get going on the season getting in the groove of things. So we're going to see how they do this uh, weekend in, in that Invitational. Definitely, for sure. Hopefully they can do better um, and improve. It's always about improving yeah. in college athletics. Um, and any week, you can have a really good week or a really bad week. Uh, moving on to football, 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 football. Um, last week was not a good week for the Thunderbirds facing the 13th ranked Utah Utes losing 73 to 7. Um, I watched that game. I have the Pac 12 network, so I was lucky enough to watch it. And the first quarter was something very interesting. You know, uh, uh-huh. Thunderbirds and Utes were tied seven apiece. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a good game, you know. Um, and I think we just caught Utah, Utah offside early. Um, um, with the onside kick to begin the game. They kicked it onside kick, and I believe it was Rand Jensen who uh, recovered the kick for the Thunderbirds, but he was literally not even an inch away from 10 yards. It, it was literally one more roll of the football, and it would have been 10 yards, and Southern Utah would have started with the ball, and also you know they deferred, so they would get the second-half kickoff and all that. And, yeah, it was just caught Utah off guard, um, Utah scored first, of course, and then Thunderbirds tied it up with uh, a run by Grady Robinson, mm-hmm. a 29, I think it was like a 29, 28-yard touchdown run. So definitely a great run by him, more of a scramble type of quarterback. Other than that, it was all Utes the whole yeah. entire rest of the way. You know, it's a learning experience for this young squad, especially with a new head coach and, you know, a lot of new players as well on the roster. Yeah, I mean, they're playing Utah. Utah is always one of the best teams. Well, especially over the past, like, four to five years, are normally one of the best teams in college football. And I think just Northern Utah in general is getting up there because you can talk about BYU now, too, and everything like that. But, yeah, I was kind of just going over the stats a little bit. Justin Miller had a bit, I think it was 362 passing yards our first week, right? With four total touchdowns, three passing, one rushing. Yes. This week he had 11 uh out of 21 completions, 42 yards, and two interceptions. So it kind of just really shows, like, the level of difficulty difference. Because, I mean, we were playing St. Thomas week one, yeah. and we went to the University of Utah. Week two. Week two. So, so. definitely, a you know, a huge level in talent, of course. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, and also just – Whenever you, you know, when, you know, I remember playing in sports growing up, you know, basketball, football, baseball, whatever it was, when you're down big early, the clock starts going slower. You want to get off that field quicker. You want to go home. You want, you just want to go and do where you do in your life. Yeah, you know, exactly. you don't want to stay for that game. So it just gets longer and longer and longer. And every athlete can relate to this. You know, when you're winning, you're having the time of your life. 
exactly. when you're losing big, and I don't mean losing close. When you're losing close, you're still in that same mentality of let's turn this around, let's get that win. But when you're down by that much, it's let's try to get the heck out of here. You know, let's you know, let's just you know get out here, finish the game. You know, we've already lost. You know. And, and, you know, I bet the team didn't have that, like, oh, we already lost mentality. I bet they, you know, they played until the final whistle blew, you know. Oh, yeah. But it's just hard to keep a good, positive mentality when you're down that much. Yeah, and I mean, like, the players were excited to go up there because, or SUU, the T-Birds were excited to go up there because it's good for them to get exposure. Like, I remember we had last week's class before they headed up there, and uh, Isaiah Wood and the wide receiver that we talked about week one, he had about 140. 40 receiving yards, so two touchdowns. Five receptions, 142 yards, and it's in a score, I was believe. Was it two scores or one? I believe it was one score. One score. But he was talking about – because he transferred from Kent State, so he obviously needed to get somewhere where he could actually play because they weren't using him how he thought they would. So he yeah. came here, and I remember he was like – he was just excited to be on that stage and play because that's huge for – any of our football players. Absolutely. Because they get a lot more recognition. I mean, obviously, they got beat pretty bad, but you can still watch the film and see how they fared against much better comp- much better competition. So, yeah. yeah. Yep, and week three for the Thunderbirds, they will be back down in FCS competition, this time facing the Western Illinois Leathernecks who lost their last game on the road 62-10 to to Minnesota, Big Ten foe. And right now, both teams are kind of the same. New head coaches for the Thunderbirds, it's Delane Fitzgerald. And for Western Illinois, it's Myers Hendrickson. First of all, 0-2 in his first two games at the helm as head coach. But same kind of buildup with Fitzgerald coaching, you know, D2, D3 programs and building them up. He's done the same at Kansas Wesleyan, with a 31-7 and career record before coming to Western Illinois. And, yeah, it's a, it's a rebuild for both teams. I think the playing well is going to be fit fairly even. Mm-hmm. This is a away game in uh, Illinois. And, um, you know, hopefully the Thunderbirds can come out with a victory with the playing field being a lot more even. And I believe this might be the first time both teams have played against each other as well. So definitely – new beginnings for both squads. Yeah, exactly like you said, new beginnings. That's the big thing, too. Um, both of them are new head coaches. Obviously, one has a victory, one doesn't. But they have, like you said, similar backgrounds of how they got to the level that they are currently at. And I think that's going to make it a really good matchup just between both teams because I feel like a lot – I'm not sure. Did you see how many new players that uh, Illinois had? I have not, okay, but... Okay, so I, I can imagine that it's con- probably similar to SUU's where yeah. we have almost... It's over half our roster is brand new. Yeah. So it's going to be kind of coaching, just trying... It's going to be a coaching game more than anything, and which players kind of picked up the systems and understand how the coaches want them to play better... Or play, yeah, how they want them to play. Yep, how they want them to play. And, yep, so this Saturday, Southern Utah Thunderbirds versus the Western Illinois Leathernecks. Uh, kickoff at 2 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. Central or whatever area you live in. Um, and it will be held in Macabre, Illinois. That's where Western Illinois is. 
And good luck to our Thunderbird football team this weekend. Yeah, exactly. And moving on to basketball, big news for both men's and women's teams. The non-conference schedules have been released. Uh, we'll kick it off first with the women's okay. schedule. And looking at the women's schedule, so non-conference-wise, they will start non-conference play. Um, looks like November 7th. Yes, November seventh, New Mexico, and you—that's the one you were talking about. Show me the video. Uh, so this is the women's. So, so this, this is, is this women's. at home. Um, okay. You know, a little bit of a teaser for the men's schedule later on. Yeah, there's gonna um, be. But yeah, for the women's, they start home versus New Mexico, a Mountain West program. Mountain West has been known for men's and women's basketball over the past couple of years, so definitely a great matchup. Then a home match versus Benedictine. At Mesa, then they go at Gonzaga, one of the best women's programs in the nation. At Eastern Washington, at Oregon, also a very good women's program. Mm-hmm. UC Santa Barbara, Texas A&M Commerce, who, according to our little preview by SU Athletics, finished 27-5 and last season. So a really good record from them. Then at Northern Arizona, so a former big sky foe. At Colorado, home against La Sierra, and then finishing at Utah. So three Pac-12 schools in that mixture right there. That's a good non-conference schedule. Yeah, and like you were saying, it's a good non-conference schedule. And the head, our head coach Tracy Sanders, she said, she said, uh, there's a quote in this article, and it says, "This is by far the toughest preseason slate that this program has ever had or played." We are eager for the challenge and the opportunity to see where we stack up against the best in the country. And I think, like she said, it's probably the hardest non-conference schedule they have ever had. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's. I think it's kind of just in due time with both our basketballs, so like men's and women, because they've been just consistently really good for a while now. And I feel like that's important for teams who show consistency and lower – like conferences like the WAC and stuff like that to go out and see what they can do against the toughest competition in the country. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. You know, the men's and women's team, they have reached new all-time highs, Mm -hmm. more than we've ever seen and more in program history right now is, is the time to follow Southern Utah men's and women's basketball because these programs are definitely headed in the right direction. You know, the sky's the limit right now. And they're they're trying to reach that glass ceiling and break through that glass uh, ceiling and totally just obliterate it. You know, right now they're trying to do that. You do that with tough non-conference. You know, iron sharpens iron. You know, you exactly. got you know tougher opponents. It's going to make your team better and tougher, even though if it does result in a loss, which these games are going to be close for sure. And we'll turn to the men's basketball side, which. Oh my gosh, it is a good schedule. I got to say. So I've, you know, as a kid, I followed my own West basketball, a huge UNLV fan growing up. And they open non-conference play at New Mexico, aka the pit. And it is one of the best home basketball venues in college basketball. There is a little paragraph saying the Thunderbirds will begin their Artists non-conference schedule, so probably a nursing for hard or you know difficult, very very difficult, yeah. 
non-conference schedule with a trip to Albuquerque, New Mexico on Monday, November 7th to take on the University of New Mexico at the well-renowned arena called The Pit. And a little bit of facts on The Pit, because when we saw this, this released 20 minutes before we recorded. Mm-hmm. You know, Chevy saw my reaction. I was shocked yeah. that we somehow booked this matchup because looking at The Pit and, you know, people listening will be like, The Pit, come on now. So 840 total games have been played overall for men's basketball at the pit. They have won 697 of those. So a .817 winning percentage for the men's basketball team at the pit. And also the Lobos have averaged an astounding 15,410 fans in the past 49 years. That's their average attendance per game. We're not talking over 50 years almost. Over 50 years. And yeah, we're not talking over you know, you know one se- you know season you know fifteen thousand fans. Mm-hmm. We're talking every single game. Like this place is sold out to the max. And the Lobos have finished second in the ten- nation in attendance five times, third on four occasions, and fourth six times. And they have uh, been in the top twenty-five attendance-wise in each of the last forty-nine years. So this is coming upon fifty years. Mm-hmm. So if this season is about the same attendance-wise, that's fifty years straight attendance wise mm-hmm. at the pit which is insane and sports illustrated rated the pit as the 13th best sports arena in the world or sports venue you need to see before you die in the 20th century the yeah, ones above that wembley stadium pebble beach augusta yankee stadium and the ones below it camden yards daytona international notre dame stadium St. Andrews, the Rose Bowl, it's ranked higher than the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that's crazy, honestly. Like, the Rose Bowl is the most renowned stadium almost in college football. Yeah, and Notre Dame Stadium, you know, you know, known for the, uh, for one of the ways same face uh, towards the library that has uh, Jesus Christ painted on it. They call him Touchdown Jesus, mm-hmm. you know. It, it, that's just insane. That in the, you know, it was named the 13th best venue in, of the, of the century for the, you know, for the, for the 20th century and probably in the 21st century as well. That's just insane to me. It, that it's ranked that high. I, I didn't know that the Rose, uh, Rose bowl was ranked below it. Like yeah. that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. And one more fact about the pit. So it's called the pit because it's dug into a 37 foot hole. And when they're building the arena, they built the roof first. So everything is attached through the roof, mm-hmm. which makes it louder. So the noise in the arena reverberates off the roof, down to the court, straight down to the court. So the men's basketball team is going to have to have major, major communication with each other oh, yeah. for this game because this is their second home game of the season, and I bet you it's going to be loud. Oh, I'm sure of it. And, like, uh, I remember you saying that you – found a quote but it wasn't necessarily on the pit but it was coach simons in the article as well Mm -hmm. he said games at kansas colorado and new mexico will test us tremendously the north shoreline classic will be a very competitive or will be very competitive and provide good exposure for our program yeah and if you go from kansas and colorado which were two ranked teams last year yes to, to new mexico to New Mexico. And who, that's just because of the pit. Or yeah. No, yeah. 
yeah, it's because of the pit, but also New Mexico, whenever they have a good team, they're always in the talk, uh, top, uh, talk about being ranked in the top 25 mm-hmm. because the Mountain West, you know, you can say that's a group of five basketball conference, but honestly, the Mountain West is known for basketball. San Diego yeah. State, UNLV, New Mexico, uh, Boise State, Colorado State, all these great programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a huge non-conference slate. Other games include a home games versus Laverne, St. Catherine, and Beseda at Kansas, so at Allen Fieldhouse, the fog, mm-hmm. up against the national, you know, the defending national champions in Kansas. Then the North Shore Classic, Texas State, and then the next day they'll either play Sacramento State or Hawaii, depending on the winner. Uh, then a home match up against Montana State, former Big Sky foe. Then at Idaho State. Then they're at Cal State Fullerton for the Jack Jones Hoop Fest. And then home versus NAU, Northern Arizona. And then at Colorado to end non-conference play. And then conference play starts. But this is a tough non-conference schedule. And if they can possibly get wins at the pit and at Colorado, we could be a shoe-in for the NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, w- I think me and you were talking about, or I know me and you were talking about this before uh, we started, but them getting the shoe-in is kind of going to depend on GCU, right? Grand yes. Canyon, Because they have been close multiple times, and I, I believe they've been ranked a couple years, but I couldn't tell you the exact years, but I know they've been close to being ranked. They've been close to being ranked, and also New Mexico State is still part of the whack for mm-hmm. men's basketball this year. So you have Me- New Mexico State and plus, uh, you know, GCU. Put Utah Valley in the mix. Put Abilene Christian, Stephen F. Austin. Stephen F. Austin a couple years back uh, broke Duke's uh, undefeated home streak. When they that's visit right. Cameron Indoor, that's in that's amazing. This conference easily, depending on how well the teams do this year, could be a two-bid conference. Maybe sneak a third team in there if the first top three teams are so good. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a great basketball conference for sure. Yeah, it, and like you said, bas- it's going to be one of the best basketball conferences, I think, for like us to be in because – Although we were in the Big Sky last year and it's considered up like a level up, this is there's still really good opponents that we're facing in the WAC, and we're facing most of the Big Sky opponents in our non-conference meetings now. Yeah. So we still get to play them, and I mean we've seen how we've done there or the team has done there. They've been ranked top three in the Big Sky the past four or five years. Yeah, and this year we face NAU and Idaho State and Montana State, so teams we have won against before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll have their number. And, you know, it's interesting how the squad goes because we do still have numerous new transfers who came in. Uh, You know, numerous returners. Dee Barnes is back. Tevian Jones, Mason Fawcett, Jason Spurgeon, uh, Harrison Butler. Definitely you've probably seen all those guys in the starting five or definitely in in the starting rotation. Mm -hmm. Wise, if SU wants to play a uh, you know big ball lineup, you could probably see those five in the starting five. Um, but yeah, it's going to be you know this roster has experience, also new players. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. And I believe that's all we've covered today here for on the Thundercast. So tune in next time to the Thundercast. This is Anthony Colasuno and Chevy Blackburn. See you next time. 